Well, hi there, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners. You are joining Mark Penrith. I'm your host for Table Talk with Mark. I'm from Crystal Park Baptist Church, Benoni, for the next uh, couple of weeks, where I have been serving the church as a member of staff. Shout out to everyone tuning in from the hood of Benoni, but recognizing that we have people from every nook and cranny of Gauteng, whether you are listening in from Pretoria, Rudaput, or Alberton, or even further afield. Radio Pulpit has listeners from all over South Africa, Western Cape, Cape Town, Stellenbosch, uh, Eastern Cape, Klebecha. I know that right now uh, rain is falling in the Eastern Cape. It's always great to hear uh, that the Lord is blessing an area of our country. Listen, at Table Talk is your opportunity to join the conversation, and we will be answering um, questions live on air this morning. However, they won't be your questions. This is a pre-recorded show, and so unfortunately you are not going to be able to ask the kinds of questions that you normally do on a Friday morning. Uh, I do encourage you though to drop a hi into the comments, particularly if you are listening on Facebook. It would be good to hear from you, to know who you are, where you are, and uh, as we go through the show, if you do have any questions, do put them into the comments on Facebook. I will endeavor to answer them um, while I listen to the show on Friday morning myself. Um, this morning, I am joined by my friend and partner in crime. No, that's not strictly true. Uh, partner in ministry, uh, a peer, and uh, somebody who I've been working with for uh, a number of years out here on the East Rand, uh, Parmesh. Uh, Parmesh is from Witchwood. Baptist Church, where he has been serving the local church for a number of years now. Um, uh, Parmesh is a graduate from the London Theological Seminary, um, and beyond that, he has also uh, recently graduated uh, with a master's degree in theology, where he looked at the subject of corporate prayer, although his actual thesis was a much <laughs> larger statement, which he's going to introduce to us uh, momentarily. Um, Parmesh actually joins us for the second time in a few weeks. Uh, a few weeks ago, we would have heard him uh, on the topic of corporate prayer. Um, but as we were talking, a number of people that were listening in asked if uh, Parmesh would come on the show again uh, and talk to more practical aspects of corporate prayer. And as I spoke to him after the show, um, both of us recognize that there is plenty that we can talk about on this topic. Uh, and so this morning, what we're really going to be doing is fleshing out some of the corporate aspects and practical aspects um, of prayer. Pomesh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Mark, for having me. It's a joy to be here once again. So Pomesh, maybe even just to start, why, why don't you take a, a brief moment and introduce uh, Witchwood to us? Um, and, and then introduce the topic that we're going to be talking about um, and from the angle that we're going to be coming at it this morning. Thanks. So Witchwood Baptist Church is a, a conservative Baptist church here on the East Rand of Gauteng. We're uh, probably the last frontier on the East Rand. <clears throat> we are uh, just sort of on the, on the border of uh, Malvern and Germiston. But you say so, that, uh, like Crystal Park is about 40 kilometers east of you, and then beyond Crystal Park, we still have springs. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose in the opposite direction, moving west from your side. Okay, uh, yeah, we're, that's we're true. We're sort of the last suburb into, into Johannesburg. Um, 
So Witchwood Baptist Church is a, a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic church, uh, uh, which is amazing to see because I've, I've said this to our church before, the only reason why we can get along in this way is because of the grace of God that he has shown us in Jesus Christ. Uh, unity is not found in our likes or dislikes or preferences. Our unity is found in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's wonderful and amazing to see what God is doing both in and through the people here. You know, actually, I, I've, I've preached at Witchwood once or twice over the years. And every time that I've been there, what you've just described and what you've just said is on displays. You look out from the pulpit over the church. It is uh, an absolute rainbow <laughs> of diversity. I, I mean, it really, it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold. Yeah, and I think that word is so accurate. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, and, and, of course, it's going to touch on some of the things that we're uh, going to consider a little bit later on this morning. Um, but our topic for today is, uh, I suppose let me say, the topic of my title, my thesis, was a redemptive historical reading of corporate and representative prayer in the Pentateuch towards a covenantal Christopraxy for Baptist churches. <laughs> so if you say that three times fast enough, <laughs> uh, it will be surprising. I'll, I'll give you an award for that. Uh, but really, it looks, at, it looks at prayer in the Pentateuch as the foundation for prayer in the life of the church today. Uh, I said previously that in most books written concerning prayer, there are three main thrusts that you will find. The first is inspirational. And that is to say, uh, well, as we read scripture, as we read the prayers of scripture, we must be inspired. There must be some kind of inward subject of response to this, and that should motivate us to pray. Uh, the other, which is less common, is an imperatival approach. Uh, so this is what the Bible commands, and out of a sense of obligation, we are obedient to that command. And then the last one is an exemplary approach. Look at the great figures of the Bible and look at the way in which they prayed, and therefore we should emulate them or follow their example. Of course, all three of those elements are true. God does inspire us from his word. God does give us commands from his word. God does leave for us examples. In the first place, Jesus Christ, who often in his life prayed to God. But what I do in my paper is I take a, a, a very different approach. And I argue that because of our union with Christ and our identity in Christ, it should encourage us and spur us on to pray. And so praying becomes an activity primarily based upon who we are as God's people. Well, I, I mean, even as you're saying that, it makes such sense. Uh, as we read the New Testament, we do hear commands to pray. We see some exemplary figures praying. You mentioned Jesus Christ, but even as you go through the book of Acts over and over again, you see the early church engaging in prayer. Um, and it is true. You see some models of prayer, the Lord's Prayer you mentioned the last time that we spoke. Um, but even in the book of Acts, there are, there are some prayers that, uh, that we can read. But, but it is true that that prayer which is aimed toward God needs to be motivated by God 
in us, that union with Christ, um, that, that it actually might fall on the ear of our Creator King. Um, and I may, maybe just to pick up on this this idea of unity with Christ, this idea of being in Christ. I think uh, last time that we chatted, I, I mentioned a friend of mine, uh, Patrick Payne, uh, who made much of this this concept of being in Christ. He was very influenced by Martin Lloyd-Jones that, that I think uh, taught quite uh, extensively on our, our union with Christ. Um, when you say union with Christ for the benefit of the hearers, what do you mean? How is this achieved? Um, and what are the fruits of this union? So typically, when we speak of union with Christ, we speak of union with Christ in terms of justification uh, and adoption into God's family. Uh, so when we think of justification, what we mean is that we are justified, we are forgiven because of our union with Christ. When God looks at us, namely those who have put their faith in Jesus, God doesn't see our sin, but sees the obedience and the righteousness of Jesus. Mm. And the reason why that's possible is because we are united to Christ. An excellent passage that deals with that is Romans chapter 6, where it speaks about when Christ died, we died with him. Mm. When he rose from the grave, we rose with him. How is that possible? Well, because of this concept called union with Christ. We were united with him in a death like his, and we were raised to new life in his resurrection. Now, of course, Christ being the son of God means that we are also beneficiaries of his sonship. Paul speaks of adoption in that way. We are adopted into God's family through union with Christ. That's typically how it's been viewed in uh, church history and in systematic theology. And uh, I take this a little bit further based on the work of another author, where union with Christ extends beyond justification and adoption, but it extends to identity. Yes. So who Christ is becomes who we are in Christ. Yes. So all the, the, the types and the shadows found in the Old Testament point toward Jesus. And because of our union with Christ, we share in something of that identity with him. And of course, there's different nuances to that. Uh, but that's really the, the primary essence of Christopraxy, in fact, as we, as we get there. For the last uh, 20 years, um, my email signature, at least for Christian-related emails, has been in Christ and for his glory alone. Um, uh, two separate ideas, but two that are very important with to me. The, the glory alone obviously being been a connection to Reformation theology and Protestant uh, identity, but, but the starting off within Christ, this idea of an identity with Jesus Christ, uh, that certainly resonates very much with me, as does adoption uh, in terms of this uh, unity that we have with Christ. So united with Christ because of what he has done, he has bought us with his blood, uh, that would be the justification. United with Christ because we have been adopted into this family um, and we have this incredible relationship with God the Father where he sees Christ because we are in Christ. Uh, I mean, just unbelievable thoughts of, of being robed with Christ as he takes on our rags of sin, uh, robed in his righteousness. 
what does this result in? How, how does this affect prayer? Why does this affect prayer? What is the, the fruit of this unity in Christ? Well, my hope, at least in the thesis, is that this would primarily be a form of encouragement, which we've not seen before. Uh, last week, I quoted the Lion King, and perhaps it's, it's interesting to go back there to maybe uh, express how this works itself out using, I think, an illustration that we're all familiar with. Now, we all know Simba's in exile, and suddenly Nala appears, and when she sees him, uh, she says immediately, well, you're the king. Well, the reason why she's doing that is primarily she's using the motive of obligation. So she's saying to him, you have a responsibility. You're the one now who's meant to go back and fix all of this. And he declines. Later on, she uses the uh, circumstances that everyone's going through. Well, she says the, the Pride Lands are now uh, a desolate place. Uh, there's nothing to eat. And, and so she uses the situation to try and encourage him. And, of course, that doesn't work either. And what's really interesting is that it's only when Simba's reminded of his identity, well, you're my son, that he's then encouraged to go back and fulfill his responsibilities. Well, I think it's the, the same thing is true here. And pastors in particular will know the struggle of this. When we try to encourage our people through the motive of obligation, we, feel, we see very little fruit. We could say to people all the time, well, these are your responsibilities. This is what you're meant to do. You've committed yourself to do these things. And sometimes it feels like we're using the stick. Um, in other instances, we might say, well, look at the situation in the world. And we try to encourage people by pointing out problems and circumstances. And we would encourage people by saying, well, you need to be raised up and you need to do this. And sometimes it feels as though that doesn't work either. Well, how do we remind our people? How do we encourage them? And what I try to do in this paper is by saying, remind them of their identity in Jesus Christ. Because of their identity, see the richness that comes from the Pentateuch speaking to believers about who they are in Christ and how that should um, encourage them to pray, to spur them on to pray, not just only as individuals, but as the corporate people of God. So I am a child of God, and therefore I have access to God, and so I can pray. And so why wouldn't I pray? I, I mean, it just makes so much sense. If, if I have the ear of the creator of the heavens and the earth, surely I would whisper in it um, my needs and his glories and my love for him and uh, my gratefulness uh, for what he has done uh, in and through me. I think that's true. And I think for most people, that aspect comes through their individual prayers. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure most Christians would admit to praying in one form or another, whether it's in their morning devotions or when they have a meal with their family or before they go to bed. But the element of corporate prayer, that's something which I think we need to work on again. It's something which in many churches, I know there are exceptions to this, and, I, and we praise God for that. Uh, 
that in many churches, the corporate prayer meeting or the corporate time of prayer is not held in high regard. Uh, one of our friends, Jonathan Holt, wrote a paper called The Forgotten Prayer Meeting. And of course, I think it's true. I think many people see the prayer meeting as something which is peripheral in the life of the church. Uh, my wife listens to a podcast and on one of the podcasts, the author there said, uh, oh, can you remember those prayer meetings, those, those dull sort of meetings that the church would have where all people would come together and they would pray? Now, of course, she had a particular perception regarding that prayer meeting. And I thought, well, it's so sad that it's, it's viewed in that way as a peripheral thing, as something which is outdated and old. Uh, but in the life of the church, the joy and excitement which you expressed, Mark, towards prayer should be the same joy and excitement that we extend towards corporate prayer. And sadly, I don't think that's the, the case in, in many instances. Maybe just to, to say for the benefit of listeners, that word church is gathering. And so when we talk about prayer within the context of the church, we are talking about gathered prayer. Friends, th this is an incredibly important subject. We who are the church, we who are the called out ones, we who are the assembly, the gathering, we ought to be praying, but that prayer should be, ought to be, and must be a corporate matter. Um, Pramesh, just to the title and, and maybe as a throwback to last week's discussion or the week before, depending on when this airs, um, I, I just want to highlight your, your, your title. You speak about corporate and representative prayer within the context of the Pentateuch. And, and I was wondering if you'd maybe just take um, a, a few minutes and just describe um, the kinds of prayers that you that you saw in the Pentateuch and how they were corporate in nature or how they were representative in nature so that we can use that as a springboard uh, for the next segment of our show. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I think that's a very good question and, and something which maybe we assume uh, in, our, in, in the life of the church. So in the Pentateuch, there are two instances which I looked at where we hear of the people of God calling out to him or praying. The first instance is found in Genesis chapter 4 at the end of that chapter where Seth was born and we read the words, at the, that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, that's the first instance where we, where we really hear of a community of people distinct from the rest of humanity calling upon God. The second instance that we find is in Exodus chapter 2, when the people of Israel are in slavery. They, they cried out to God, and their cry was heard by God. And that's the second instance where we hear of a community or a people calling out to the Lord. But after Genesis uh, sorry, after Exodus chapter 2, the next instance that we find of prayer is found in, ex in Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> On that occasion, the people of Israel are at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they experience a very visible and audible uh, uh, manifestation of God. We call that a theophany or a Christophany. 
Uh, you read the description of that in Exodus chapter 19. Mount Sinai is uh, surrounded with smoke and fire. God speaks with a thunderous voice as lightning strikes the mountain. It's a very overwhelming scene. And in that instance, the people of Israel say to Moses, you speak to God on our behalf, lest he speak to us and we die. Now, there's an interesting transition that takes place here in that we find that there is an individual who not only represents God to the people, but one who represents the people to God. So Moses has this very interesting dual role that he fulfills throughout the rest of the Pentateuch. He speaks God's word to the people, but then he also speaks the word of the people to God. And in some instances, it's very interesting because we find that people are sinning and, and they've chosen to follow a particular course. And then Moses intercedes for them asking God to forgive them of their sin. And in that instance, well, who is he representing? Well, he's representing a sinful people before a holy God. And so we see corporate prayer being uh, manifested or, or conducted by an individual representing those people before God. And what's also partic particularly interesting is that as the Old Testament unfolds, as we move into the book of Joshua and later on, we don't necessarily find prayers of individuals. We might find them, of course, uh, in particular instances like in 1 Samuel. But the thrust of the Old Testament is, is an individual praying on behalf of a people. Joshua prays for the nation of Israel. Uh, King Solomon prays on behalf of the nation. So it seems as though the Old Testament is primarily concerned about the one who represents the people of God. And of course, that then in itself anticipates Jesus Christ, who perfectly represents the people of God uh, in his uh, ministry and his work. And so corporate prayer speaks about uh, the people, uh, distinct people calling out to God, whereas representative prayer uh, speaks about an individual who representing that uh, group uh, calls out to God on their behalf. Pomesh, when we come back from the break, we're going to continue this discussion of both corporate prayer and representative prayer. I, I really get that distinction now. I can see it in the Pentateuch. Uh, it's near to mind. I've got one or two questions that I, I want to pose to you, but, but I really want to get into the meat of what this might look like on any given Sunday or during the week in our midweek prayer meetings so that we can enrich not just our experience of prayer, but, but enrich our prayers, that, uh, that the prayers that God's people pray, those who are listening into Radio Pulpit uh, this morning, um, might really rise up to the throne of God, that they might fall on his willing ear and that we might see the great hand of God moving in the midst, uh, in our midst. Uh, certainly the church of our day and age uh, needs that. And so I'm really looking forward to the rest of our conversation. Um, listeners, we are going to go to a short break. Um, do remain with us as we enter into the second uh, segment of our show this morning.
Well, hi, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners. It is good to be with you on this Friday morning. I have no idea this morning if it is sunny or rainy or windy or if uh, God's favor is shining down on us in that this is a pre-recorded show. Uh, it will be going out toward the close of 2021. So excited for 2022 for those of you who <laughs> experienced the the pain and the agony and just the difficulties that 2021 threw at all of us. We are certainly hoping for an easier 2022. This morning we are chatting about corporate prayer together with our friend Parmesh. Parmesh is from Whitford Baptist Church and recently completed a master's degree uh, on the subject of corporate prayer. It, it had a way bigger title than that and included things like redemptive aspects and included things like the Pentateuch and corporate and representative prayer and Christopraxis, which I'm looking forward to Parmesh fleshing out a little bit uh, again um, as we speak about what corporate prayer looks like in practice. Uh, we've discussed uh, the idea of corporate being as we gather as the church, that is what the church is, it is the assembly, it is the called out ones, it is those who gather to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, as we gather, we are to do a number of things amongst those means of grace, amongst the elements of worship that we as God's people are commanded to do um, is this idea, this the, the, this concept of prayer. And this morning, we've been talking about that. We're entering into the second part of the show. And maybe just to kick us off, Pomesh, when we talk about prayer, sometimes our prayer can be very informed by religion. I went to an all-boys school. Uh, we would open up every single assembly without fail by either reciting or singing the Lord's Prayer, it was such a rote activity that I'm not even too sure I even knew what the words were until I was, uh, you know, a little bit older and, and somebody slowed me down and we worked phrase by phrase through the Lord's Prayer and I grew an appreciation um, for for what our Lord had presented to his disciples. But certainly as a child, these were just words that had to be said in a specific order at a specific time. Um, and we needed to get through them in order to get to the business of, you know, sport or <laughs> academic success or whatever else uh, was going on uh, in the school at the time. Um, how do we combat the roteness of religion when it comes to prayer, which really should be conversational and should be flowing out of our heart? Yeah, Mark, that's a, that's a really good question. And it does uh, allow us to be a, a little bit like Alice here as we dive down the rabbit hole of thinking about the affections. Okay, so you started with Simba in the first part of the show. You've now hit on Alice in Wonderland. I'm looking forward to where kind of like the next couple of uh, analogies are going to flow from. But tell us it's, about it's, Alice in Wonderland, brother. Through it's the, it's the theology of Disney, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clearly, I know what's on your watch list. <laughs> but... Um, just to remind ourselves of this, when God created the world, there were three elements that he created. He created truth, what is right and wrong, morality, what is good and bad, 
and beauty what is attractive and not. Now, with the fall, all three of those elements were marred or distorted. So when it comes to truth, instead of right being right and wrong being wrong, we begin to call what is wrong right and what is right wrong. There's a twisting that takes place. And the same thing with morality. We begin to call what is bad good and what is good bad. And with beauty, we call what is ugly beautiful and what is beautiful ugly. Mm. Now, of course, we can see that in the world. I'm sure many of us are able to think of examples, perhaps pertaining to those things that we're most passionate about, where we can see that taking place. Now, when Jesus Christ restores us, when he gives us new life, when he gives us a heart of flesh, we must begin to see a change in our affections as, it, as we think about those things. Oh, when, you, so we, when you say the word affections, I just think of Jonathan Edwards and John Piper. <laughs> but carry on, brother. Carry on. Tell us about affections. So we must begin to develop right loves for each of these things. So we must develop a love for truth. We must develop a love for that which is good. We must develop a love <clears throat> for that which is beautiful. And it must be the right love. And later on in, the, in my thesis, I speak about orthopathy. So orthopathy simply means right loves or right or appropriate love. So uh, think about this in your own relationships that you may have. Well, we may say, well, we love our wives. And we might also say, well, we love ice cream. But we also understand that those are, are different loves. You don't love your wife in the way that you love ice cream. And you don't love ice cream in the way that you love your wife. They are different loves. It would be inappropriate for you to love ice cream in the way that you love your wife or love your wife in the way that you love ice cream. And the same thing is true when it comes to the subject of, of corporate prayer. We must develop right truth regarding corporate prayer. We must understand that there is an appropriate or right practice as it pertains to corporate prayer. And we must develop right affections for corporate prayer. I think part of the reason why many believers struggle with even attending a prayer meeting is because we haven't developed a right love for it. And maybe we're not even thinking in those terms. Now, of course, we would, uh, we, we would be able to have a conversation about, you know, well, what do you love? I think for many people, what they love is what they will spend their time on. Now, of course, if they love watching television or if they love other things more than Christ, that's where they'll spend their time on Sunday morning or Sunday evening or perhaps during the midweek Bible studies or prayer meetings. And so we must begin to think about, well, how do we develop right loves? Now, of course, it's the word of God that's primary in that. But I think it's also some of the practices that we develop should help us as we think about that. Well, you know, actually, I'd love us to dwell on this just just a little bit longer. As you've been talking, my, the synapse in my head are starting to fire and explode. Um, my my follow up question to you would have been: Well, then, how do we go about cultivating 
these affections, you know, I, I mean, and I get that we need the Spirit of God within us, and surely a fruit of the Spirit of God in us will be new affections, new loves, new joys, new pieces, new self-controls, and all of these kinds of things. But I'm also aware that even as God works within us, we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But I guess what started my brain firing off was, as you spoke about this idea of truth, of morality, and of heart affections, it does start to kind of develop a roadmap for the cultivation um, of God-honoring and God-focused affections. Because just like you said, how can we love something that we do not know? We need truth in order to know more. God's word surely must be where we start. Um, you then went from orthodoxy to orthopraxy, right practice. The reality is truth needs to inform how we go about engaging God. And surely God's word has much to say about how we go about the process of prayer. And, and maybe then, in in almost contrast to the way that the 21st century mind works, the whole thing is upside down. Truth informs praxis, and praxis in some ways stimulates this heart love and, and kind of kickstarts it almost like a starter motor so that our affections are bent towards God in ways that they weren't before. So that rather than the way that the 21st mind thinks in that, you know, we need to have these kind of like, ushy-gushy emotional feelings that might change our praxis and then our praxis might inform like what we actually believe to be true. It actually works the other way around in God's economy. Have I made any sense? I haven't even framed that as a question. I framed it as a statement. But I'll hand it back to you and you can kind of think through it um, while we're going through the topic. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think even in what you in the way that you were trying to articulate it, maybe reflects the way that we think about things today. We tend to work these things out in a very logical and spherical way. Uh, so for many of us, we we want to know well what is truth, what is our orthodoxy, and we we treat it as a distinct sphere in our minds, and nothing must come close to that. And then from there, we move on by implication and extrapolation to orthopraxy. What is right practice? How do we develop this right practice? And then we try to kind of figure out what do we do with this love sphere that sort of comes at the end that, that most often it gets neglected. Yeah. Uh, but I think a, a better way to understand this is really by reminding ourselves of the greatest command where the Lord says, well, well what is the greatest command? But it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, with all your strength. Now, of course, he's borrowing from what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we must remember that the Hebrew thought that lies behind this, where the heart is the center of our beings. It is, and of course, we see this in the Old Testament, don't we? Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Yeah, uh, we, we, we're meant to guard our affections. We're meant to guard uh, this, this thing in our bodies from which everything else flows from. And so rather than seeing these distinct spheres, what I try to do is show that there's significant overlap. That 
orthodoxy not only informs our orthopraxy, right practice, but it also informs our orthopathy Mm. in that the Bible tells us not just who we should love and how we should love him, but that we must actually develop right affections for him. So, So truth informs our loves. And that's how we begin to guard this wellspring of life within us by asking ourselves, how does God inform not just my mind, but how does God inform my heart? Yeah, now, the, at this point in time, sorry. Well, I was just thinking back to um, to your thesis. Um, and when I read it, I, I remember you having um, kind of concentric circles um, and orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthopathy, and the one leading to the other, and this being the common thought. And then I remember you bringing them all together and overlapping them. So orthodoxy overlapping with both orthopraxy and orthopathy, and vice versa. So they're all overlapping. And then in the center, um, uh, Christopraxis, I, I think you had, had an, an arrow pointing to the middle and that being the sweet spot where everything comes together, uh, and, and that being what we're actually aiming for in terms of true religion. Yeah, that's right. So, so all these things come together in Christ or what we might call Christian discipleship. Uh, and of course, it is, uh, it is the basis for how we live. It is, it is the work of Christ by the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we might say the one who gives us a new heart is the one who dwells within this new heart and empowers us to live by his strength to develop right affections in order to live in a God-glorifying way. Mm. Yeah, as we're talking about this, we now land at the topic of of prayer and 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 back to that original question and wrote religion and how if we bring a right understanding of Christ together with a right practice which is derived from God's word together with these new heart affections that God himself is giving us through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit it does affect the way that we live out this Christian life, it, it affects our appreciation um, for the the practice of prayer and even the practice of prayer together with the people of God uh, in community. Mm. I, I think, Mark, I can share your sentiment uh, when you spoke about being in school. Uh, I went to Springs Boys High and uh, recently I spoke at their Remembrance Day service and in the in our time together, they read out the school prayer. And it, it struck me as to just how God-glorifying that prayer is. So it begins by saying, O Lord, God of truth, whom to know is everlasting life, and to serve is perfect freedom. Grant that we may draw near to thee in thought, word, and deed. Now, I'm sure some of our, our Puritan forebears would say amen to that yeah, uh, because it's rich in theological truth. But when I was at school, I didn't know anything that was going on there. Uh, I thought it was, uh, you know, just one of these things that we do because of, of 
tradition and you know this is how the school came about and so we're just going to keep doing that but now that i'm a believer now that i have been saved my heart begins to resonate with that truth and i'm able to experience joy because of the truthfulness of those words and the beauty in which those words were written i can appreciate that now, of course, that's not to say, and maybe just add a little bit of balance here, that's not to say that written prayers or prepared prayers are inherently stifling or cold. I think sometimes it can be done in that way. I think it, it can be done as just a sort of mode of, of moving the service along, but I don't, don't think it needs to be that. So here at Woodward Baptist Church, over the course of my ministry, for my pastoral prayer, I've used three books in order to help me prepare. The first book I used was The Value of Vision. Man, I love a compilation that book. of Puritan prayers. <laughs> Published by Banner of Truth Trust. And I would encourage everyone to have a copy of it next to their bedside table. And... And I would, I'd wholeheartedly agree. It, it became my, my it, as I walk up to the pulpit, I have three books with me. I have my, my little file that I have my preaching notes in. I have my Bible and I have my, my book that I use to prepare my prayers for the congregation. Now, of course, when I prepared those prayers, I didn't just read it out word for word. I had to do the hard work of bringing it into contemporary language. Maybe there was a particular concept that moved me as I read it. And so how do, I, how do I bring that to the church in a way that can warm their affections as I pray as their representative to God? So there's definitely hard work that needs to be done if you're going to use the value of vision. Uh, I also use John MacArthur's uh, book no, at, on prayer. At the throne of grace. Of, uh, yes. I use yep. that as well. That was a lot know, easier, of course. It's I I had a copy of At the Throne of Grace, really enjoyed it, gave it away to someone a few years ago. And because God has not gifted me with uh, with the kind of memory that just can call to mind um these these things, it has passed into wherever good books go. <laughs> yeah. And and of, and what I appreciate about John MacArthur's book is that it, it is a little bit more contemporary in its language. It's very logical to follow. And so there's a lot less work that you need to do in terms of, of bringing it to the congregation. And more recently, I've been using Piercing Heaven. I see you have a copy there, Mark. Uh, also, Prayers of the Puritan Puritans. And uh, again, just uh, helping me uh, prepare uh, the church uh, to pray together. So now again, so what me, I think that so for me, Tomesh, some of the best books that I've ever received, I, I received from uh, Andre Birdrick, who's the pastor at uh, Benoni Baptist Church. Uh, he gave me my my volume set of John Favell, who over time has become um, one of my favorite authors um, from from history. I, I have consumed the volumes and uh, have just loved the writings and have been richly edified um, by Flavel. Um, 
So yesterday I, I had breakfast with Andre and he gave me a copy of Piercing Heaven. I haven't actually read it yet. Um, this is sitting next to my bedside table. Uh, this is what I'm going to be preparing um, future pastoral prayers out of um, for, the, for, the, for the next foreseeable future. But maybe just to say to any people that might be listening in, if you're listening in and you are thinking this, this, this um, particular episode will probably be after um, Christmas, um, but if you are thinking of buying your pastor a book to encourage them for 2022, so you want to buy them a, a New Year's gift present, um, or you have a pastor who you really want to encourage in the area of corporate prayer, one of these three books would be a great place to start, and that would be Value of Vision, uh, which you can find through Banner, Banner of Truth. Um, it is available at all good bookstores. Um, and I can particularly commend, there's a, a bonded leather uh, version, which is a very thin gold leafed uh, with, a, with a lovely little um, uh, uh, kind of uh, bookmark. Uh, bookmark. Uh, it is just a wonderful book. Um, and and that would make a great gift. Um, at the Throne of Grace by John MacArthur, I've only ever seen it in uh, paperback. That would be available off Amazon. And uh, this hardcover, Piercing Heaven, I'm guessing would be available at good bookstores as well. And when I say good bookstores, probably one of these three would ca would carry all of these books. Um, either Augustine Bookroom, which is in Pretoria, Good Neighbors Bookstore, which is on the west side of Johannesburg, um, in the kind of like the northwestern um, areas. Um, and then at Rosebank Union, there is a Christian book discounters, and they might be able to order those books in. Um, they probably carry Value Vision, which is the most popular out of the three. Um, but those would make excellent gifts to pastors. And if you are at a church where a number of people, maybe elders or mature saints, um, lead the corporate prayers on a Sunday, these books would make great gifts to any of those people. Um, and Parmesh's uh, thesis on corporate prayer uh, might make a great distribution um, article. You can get that by commenting uh, in the Facebook notes, and, and I'll make sure that I get a link to you. Parmesh, sorry, uh, you were saying, brother. Yeah, so I just, I think one of the things that using these books do uh, is keep our prayers fresh. Now, again, <clears throat> I, I, that's not to belittle extemporaneous prayers or, or prayers that people will pray uh, without any notes. But I think what can happen is that we, we tend to develop uh, stock phrases uh, and we tend to repeat ourselves over time. Whereas working through perhaps one of these books allows you to hear prayers of multiple other people. And it allows, I feel, it allows me to keep my prayers fresh and allows me to work on my affections. So as I pray and as I read through these prayers, I'm always asking myself, how does this stir my heart? How does this help me develop right affections for God? but also right affections when it comes to prayer itself. And then how do I communicate to, to others as I pray? And so I, I find that it's a, it's a great help, not just for me, but also for my congregation. Because you want to, when you pray, you want 
the heart of your people to resonate with your own heart. So if this heart of mine is the wellspring of life, how can I allow the wellspring of the lives of other people to resonate with mine as we pray to the Lord? And uh, yeah, you want to encourage your people to affirm your prayers, whether it's the audible mm, as you're as you're praying or even the hearty amen afterwards. Uh, you, you want to create that not in a mechanical way, but one that's organic and one really that comes from the stirring up of affections. Pamesh, we've got a lot to talk about uh, when we come back from the break. Um, I really want us now to tuck in to the the Sunday morning worship service and what corporate prayer would look like on any given Sunday. I, I want us to to be very practical in terms of talking about call to worships and um, and corporate prayers and praying before sermons and 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 things like that. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing how the conversation now rolls out uh, for the second hour of the show. Um, to those who are listening in, thank you so much for sticking with us. When we come back after the break, uh, we will continue this discussion on corporate prayer with Parmesh. Uh, do join us shortly. Well, hi there, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners. It is good to be with you again. Today, we are entering into the second hour of the show. I'm joined by Parmesh, a friend, and Pierre from Witchwood Baptist Church. We are talking about the topic of corporate prayer. We've been talking for the last hour. We have gone through the topic, looking at it really from a very high level as we engaged in some of the representative as well as corporate prayer in the Pentateuch. Uh, we then have been talking for the last half an hour of the show uh, about the affections. We've used big words like orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy, um, truth, and praxis, and uh, or practice, and and how things feel, uh, the emotions, how everything comes together, and how we can make prayer less religion, less rote, uh, and more of a heartfelt response to our great and glorious God. Um, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, to the glory of God, the Father in heaven, by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. We now enter into a very practical consideration of corporate prayer on any given Sunday. And Pomesh, when you think of the Sunday service and when you think of corporate prayer in particular, where do we get started? What does prayer look like on a Sunday? What informs um, our Sunday practices? I think the first thing that we need to say is the Word of God. Uh, we, we, we have no other foundation other than what He has revealed to us through His Word. And so one of the things which we try very hard to do in our Sunday service is to structure our service in a way that reflects the gospel. So one of the first things that we will do in our church service is read the word of God. We, we try to do that as close to the start of the service as possible because we recognize that in the gospel, it is God who initiates. It is God who reveals himself to us through his word. And so our prayers, uh, at least the opening prayer, will reflect on the passage which we've just read. And will primarily be one where we thank God 
for revealing his attributes to us in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can appreciate, and in a way that we can love. And now, of course, we would call that a call to worship, and it would normally be kind of like one to three verses, often from a psalm, but particularly looking at attributes of God, which we can then extol to him in corporate prayer. Um, yeah, that's true. I think different churches will do it in different ways. So there are times when I've just read uh, one or two verses. There are other instances where we've read an entire psalm, uh, depending on the structure of the service. So again, different churches might do this in different ways, but one of the things which we try to do is we look at the main passage that will be preached on in that, on that particular morning, and we'll look at the significant themes that will present themselves through that passage. And then what we'll do is we'll, everything will sort of surround that. So our call to worship, uh, even the songs that we choose will all be leading progressively to the high point, which we believe is the sermon. Um, the second Helvetic uh, confession says that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. And so we, we want to move towards that in a way that's natural and organic and in a way that prepares our hearts to receive that. Mm. Okay, so so one of the ways that we can include corporate prayer in our prayer service, if you're a pastor listening in or an elder of a church listening in and you're listening in and one of the things that you want to walk away with is is mechanisms for enhancing or including corporate prayer into your worship service. One of the key ways that you can do that is open your service with scripture and then pray that scripture on behalf of your people in a way which causes them to praise God right from the start. Yeah, that's right. Now, as, a, as a church, of course, we've also done different things in the past. Uh, there has been seasons in, our, in the life of our church where we've chosen to focus on prayer. Uh, so we haven't done it recently because of COVID and, of course, the, the uh, challenges that comes with sanitizing mics and pulpits and so on. But what we've done in the past is we've structured our service according to the acronym ACTS of prayer. So I'm sure many of you know this, uh, but the acronym stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, so, uh, spilling out the word acts. And there's a really cool kind of break-in, um, probably is derived from the work of Martin Luther, who went to the barber, and the barber asked him a question, how can I pray? And Martin went away and came back a few weeks later with a long-form track <laughs> tract that basically laid out this acronym, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and explained what each one of those meant. Um, yeah, which, uh, yeah, best of theology happens while you're getting a haircut. <laughs> or in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um... Well, and so what we had done then is we had um, allocated to different qualified individuals in our church. And we said to them, we want you to, to pray adoring God based on the call to worship. And so we would send that to them prior to the service. And then afterwards, we would say to another 
individual. We want you to represent the congregation. We want you to represent the church as you confess to God our sin. And thereafter, we would go to another individual and say, we want you to thank God for some of the things that you've seen in the congregation. And then that would then be the pastor would then do the, the prayer of supplication before the, the sermon. And so, again, it's one way in which we can uh, highlight the importance of corporate prayer in the service and representative prayer as we acknowledge that these individuals represent us as a community to God as we pray to them. That was, that was one. I love the idea of getting more people involved uh, in the corporate worship service. I love the priesthood of believers on display and um, and maybe a mitigation of any sense of division between clergy and laity uh, that we can sometimes see in other denominations. Um, you mentioned a word there, qualified individuals, uh, and yeah, just very practically, what, what did you mean by that? How, how can it, you know, what qualifies a person to pray? Um, but more specifically, what might be the kinds of things that you're looking in for a person who would pray publicly and um, before the church and before God? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. So uh, when I use the word qualified, I don't necessarily mean someone who's an elder of the church or even a deacon. Uh, I think we must recognize that there are individuals in our church who are mature and gifted in particular ways uh, such that they will be of encouragement and um, uh, benefit to the congregation. So when I use the word qualified, I mean someone who is uh, uh, committed to the church. And that means that it's someone whom you'll see not just once a month, but more regularly at the, at the church meetings. Uh, but more than that, I also think it's someone who loves the congregation and the congregation no loves them. It would, th there is a sense in which when someone stands up publicly representing the church, you want to know that this individual is trusted and loved by the congregation. Otherwise, there is a sense of disconnect that happens in that moment, and perhaps even a sense of distrust, and you want to avoid that. Now, of course, the, the larger the church gets, the more difficult it is to maybe uh, have this particular aspect in place. But at the very least, you want this individual to have the hearts of your people if he's going to be the one to stir their affections. You want a, a love to exist there. And then, of course, you want them to be a mature believer, someone who's not necessarily young in the faith, uh, someone who is, uh, is able to, to take the word of God and reflect that word in the prayers that they prayed. We said previously, uh, when we spoke about the, the elements of worship, we read the word and we pray the word. Well, that doesn't just mean that we read scripture in our prayers, but it means that we're able to take scripture and to modify it or reflect it in such a way that our prayers are saturated by the word of God. And you want that individual to do that. So someone who's committed to the church, loves the church, 
and is a mature believer when it comes to handling the word of God. And maybe to say, this is actually a teaching moment. So whilst a person might not be opening God's word, reading God's word, explaining God's word, and applying God's word, this is primarily that final step. It's application of God's word in real time. And so as a result, you do want to make sure that the people that you have standing before the congregation, praying corporately as representatives of the congregation, are apt to teach and are recognized as teachers because you're really putting them and promoting them to that position. Um, at Crystal Park Baptist Church, we are very careful um, and we have been very careful uh, in the past uh, in terms of those whom we ask to both lead the uh, Lord's Supper, but also those whom we have asked to lead corporate worship. Uh, we've actually made the point that, um, that I as the pastor have invariably not led the Lord's Supper or necessarily the corporate prayer. Um, because we do want to reflect a priesthood of all believers. Uh, and so that is one of the opportunities that, that we have, that we have given to folk in the church in order to express, um, this, this idea of a shared teaching, uh, environment, a shared pulpit. Um, but we've been very selective in terms of the people that we've asked, um, to lead both, um, both communion that's invariably been elders as well as corporate prayer that's invariably been uh, mature um, members of the church. And of course, that reflects what we see in the Pentateuch. When it comes to representative prayer, well, who represents the people? Well, in the first instance, it's Moses. Thereafter, it's Joshua. Yes. And once uh, we move through the book of Judges and enter into the book of Kings and so on. It's, it's usually the king who is the, the representative of the people who represents them to God. And we see that particularly in the case of Solomon. And so as you move on into the New Testament, you, you want it to be mature believers who are at the very least, perhaps even on their way to the eldership, who are showing uh, signs of being qualified even for that. It's helpful in the Old Testament, though, that we don't get an absolute iron-clasped model in that even in the examples that you used, first Moses, who would be recognized as a prophet, although an unusual prophet, you then have um, Aaron, uh, who prays on behalf of the people, a priest, you have Solomon um, exercising the role as king. There's quite a lot of diversity, even in the Old Testament, in terms of those who represent God's people um, to God. Um, and, and, and uh, yeah, as we come into the New Testament, uh, obviously this idea of us being a priesthood of all believers um, is hard baked into, into the New Testament story. Um, and, and therefore, you know, reflective as we look for those mature representatives within the context of our local church. Mm. Where, where else that do we see corporate worship reflected in our Sunday service? Yeah, so I just share one example Praise, uh, where right. on occasions we've we've used the acronym Acts of Prayer uh, to do that. Uh, in other instances, we've actually uh, one of our elders prepared. A, a congregational prayer that we prayed together. Uh, so I'm sure in some churches you may yeah. pray the Lord's Prayer. 
Uh, sure. In this particular instance, uh, he had prepared one that we as a congregation to, could pray together. So he led us in that. He was still the one who uh, was in the pulpit. Uh, he had led us through this prayer uh, by reading it out to us, and we would read it with him. And again, I think that's a wonderful opportunity for us to recognize um, the, the unity of uh, the church. I'd love to actually give uh, listeners a resource at this stage. It is, it's a resource which has almost transformed some of the corporate nature of prayer um, at the church that I've served um, over the last, I would say, year or so. And that is MatthewHenry.org. MatthewHenry.org. Uh, if you had to just type into Google Matthew Henry um, corporate prayer, I'm sure it'll get you to the website. So Matthew Henry is very well known as a commentator of the Old Testament, um, but maybe less known as a writer of a book on corporate prayer. And, and what he did was he compiled under uh, thematically, under themes, um, various different verses from Scripture that relate to the theme under consideration. And then he rewrote the verses into a corporate plur plural um, uh, uh, form. So instead of a verse being an individual prayer, he will rewrite the same prayer um, so that it can be read uh, in a corporate nature. And at MatthewHenry.org, they've actually gone to various different translations. So the King James, the New King James, the English Standard Version, and one or two other, I think the New American Standard Bible, and they have presented these prayers and these verses under these thematic headings in, in ways that can quickly be adopted uh, into a pastoral prayer uh, or into a corporate prayer. Now, um, what, what we did at Crystal Park Baptist Church is we've got two men that are recognized as our corporate prayers uh, in the church. And um, I then went to our model, which is Acts, and I took each one of those various different themes and I broke them down into those subheadings of adoration, uh, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and then said to the men, guys, I'd like on any given Sunday for you to choose of your own volition one of those themes um, and then rather than read the actual passages i want your prayers to be informed by those passages um, and use them as you put together your representative prayers but as you were talking of a corporate prayer that had been pre-prepared uh, matthew henry's book actually lends itself to that because it's already been produced in a way which can be read by uh, by the church um collectively um, and so, yeah, would commend that resource to anybody who's listening now. If you're looking for a free resource rather than a purchased resource, uh, which we've spoken about in the first uh, two segments of the show, uh, MatthewHenry.org would be a great place to start to really up your game uh, in terms of corporate prayer. Thanks, Mark. I, I wrote that down, so I'm going to go check it out now as well. So uh, I think, sorry. Yeah, no, carry on. I think most typically, uh, many of us then are aware of what is the pastoral prayer in the church. Uh, that uh, I think in every church would be a time allocated when the pastor would pray. Uh, and it, of course, it varies. For some, it's just a, a few sentences linked together. For others, it's, it's much more extended. Uh, we tend to be in the, in the latter part of that. 
before we move into the the sermon i will uh, get so up what are you what are you Sunday. talking talking about 15 minutes 10 minutes five minutes oh it depends i would probably say between five and ten depending on sure on the the resource i'm using and, 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 um, and just for comparison we we set limits for each element of our worship and our service we're aiming for an hour and 15 minutes from start to finish because we have two sunday services and we need a time in between for people to uh, fellowship the two the two congregations to fellowship together of one church um and so we set a a, a kind of a limit or a, a standard for our corporate prayers of five minutes Okay, and I think I think what you what you're highlighting there is is of course the the distinction between different churches. I think some churches will will maybe have something shorter, and some will have something longer. I think it also depends on the gifting of the individual. If you're able to pray in such a way that doesn't put people to sleep or cause them to be distracted, I think you can <laughs> go a bit longer. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I'll need to I'll need to get some feedback from my congregation to hear uh, what they think. Um, and of course, I think that's how typically we, we think of corporate prayers, that pastoral prayer where uh, we're coming together to, to uh, intercede for others. I think what's good at that point in time, and this is something that I've learned uh, more recently, is before I pray, I'll mention at least two folk in our church that we'll be praying for. And so in the week, we'll either contact folk in our congregation to ask them how we can pray for them or we'll uh, uh, pray for those who are uh, particularly unwell. Yes. And what this does is that it prepares the congregation for those whom you will be praying for. And so again, as we think about the affections, is that there'll be those in the congregation who love these people, and there will be the natural inclination that out of a sense of love for them to join you in their prayers as they, as they, as they pray together. I love that. That that is excellent. What what we have also done is we've prepared a list for our corporate prayers um, of so that you don't just pray for the government because we are told to pray for kings and you know those who rule over us. Um, but we've actually prepared a list of the name of the fire station manager, the name of our police captain superintendent. Sorry, the the the. The, the person who's in charge of, of our police station, station commander, that's the word I was looking for, the name of the nurse in charge at our local clinic, the name of our ward counselor, the name of our mayor, because often people don't know the name of the mayor. Um, so we've actually prepared kind of like a list so that those who are involved in corporate prayer um, can, can also you know, pray for people um, by name, whether that be cabinets or whether that be ward councillors or mayors uh, and such, so that the prayers are more um, specific and aren't just general week in, week out. Yeah, that's, that's excellent and helpful. And then just to say the last way in which we pray is uh, normally after the service, after the sermon, uh, I'm sure, Mark, maybe you've experienced this as well. Other pastors may have also. But we sort of, we, we end the sermon, we pray, and then we either sing a song uh, or, or we dismiss our people there and everyone just sort of gets up and they leave. And one of the things which, which we've done is when I end my sermon, we actually give a time of 
of silence where people can then pray together. And thereafter, I'll end our time together in prayer. So we do want our folk to reflect on what God has said to them. And the best way that we can do it is, is through prayer. And so we'll just give a few minutes where, where the entire church will just sit quietly and, and reflectively praying together. And thereafter, then I'll close the service by praying once again as the representative to God for them. And again, I mean, the, the things that we've mentioned in this session uh, is, is not a one-size-fits-all. We've just given advice trying to help churches think about how they can do this. Uh, and of course, it, it, there's a lot of freedom here. Uh, and I think what we're, we're, what we're saying to folk is simply be deliberate and intentional. Uh, don't just let this be another thing that you do but allow it to be something which you devote time to so that you can raise the affections of your congregation to love the Lord and to love each other as they do that. I think that's excellent, Pomesh. Um, and, and maybe to say, I mean, as you say, not one size fits all. Our entire service is going to be bathed in prayer. Um, the likelihood is that your worship leader is going to close, you know, after you've sung whatever songs you've sung, he's going to close the worship section in prayer. It certainly happens in our context. Uh, whoever leads communion on any given Sunday is going to pray for the elements um, and pray as, you know, part of the communion service. There are so many opportunities for prayer during the context of of your of your worship um your corporate worship that corporate prayer should be uh, and and representative corporate prayer really should be hard baked into everything that we do um may, maybe just one element of prayer which I, I i think gets the short end of the stick um we seem pretty good at adoration pretty good at thanksgiving and supplication but prayers of confession um are sometimes relegated to a to a byline uh in a pastoral prayer um one area that you can really have dedicated confessional prayer would be during a communion service uh, as a preparation of one's heart um for uh for communion and uh, would really encourage people even to take a moment of silence, you know, like a, a, a minute so that people collectively can confess their sins, but also can personally confess their sins. Um, and then a, a time of representative confession of our sins before God, trusting that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all sin. A great opportunity during our corporate worship service uh, to pray. Pomesh, as we, as we come to the close of our third segment and as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the last segment uh, on this Friday morning, um, which will relate to corporate prayer, I am looking forward to talking about midweek prayer meetings or, or prayer meetings that are other than the corporate worship service, but dedicated to prayer. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, very practically uh, in the last segment of our show. Listeners, please do stick with us. We're going to go to a short break uh, and look forward to returning soon. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit listeners, it is good to be with you on this Friday. We are entering into the last leg of table talk with Mark this morning. I'm speaking to my friend Parmesh. He's a pastor from Witchwood Baptist Church. 
we've been talking and this is actually the second week of this conversation um, but this is the fourth segment of today's show we've been talking about corporate prayer um, the prayer that happens when God's people gather together when they assemble together when they call out to uh, the name of the Lord we spent the first uh, two segments speaking about really a, a theology of corporate prayer and then our affections, our heart of corporate prayer. How this is not a religious activity, well it is a religious activity but it's not a right religion. How this is a heartfelt response um, to a union that we have with Christ and an enablement which we have through the Holy Spirit changing our affections, changing our practice, helping us to understand truth informed by God's word. And then we spent the last half an hour really talking about, well, what does corporate prayer look like within the context of the corporate worship service? Parmesh, brother, as we come to this next section of the show, how does this work out as we, as we, as we pray, as we as we lift up our prayers and our petitions to God, how does this work out in terms of a midweek service? These have definitely fallen out of vogue um, over the last, I would say, probably 20 years uh, of the church's existence. Uh, we have seen a deprecation, a relegation uh, of the church's worship service, um, corporate worship service, midweek service um, in terms of uh, corporate prayer. Um, you gave one or two reasons for that um, in the last the last time that we met. Um, maybe you'd like to just, in short, just flesh out some of the reasons why uh, the midweek prayer service is under under such attack or has been relegated um, to just one program or a program that, that many don't see as valuable any longer. Uh, maybe you want to flesh that out even as we come to the topic of, well, what does a vibrant midweek prayer service look like? I think, uh, let me just say, I think a lot of people in our in our churches are just really busy. Uh, if I look at some of the folk who are here, they have tremendous work pressures in their life. Uh, often what happens is they get home half past five, need to have supper with the family and then just rush out to get to church. It, it becomes rather taxing. Uh, so for many people, I think they, they really are just busy. And as, as pastors, I think we just need to be mindful of some of the pressures that our people experience. Mm. Uh, and again, I don't think they're deliberately trying to stay away from this or uh, they might not have any, have any ulterior motive, but, but simply busyness consumes them. Uh, when in my paper, when I, I spoke about some of the things which um, uh, hinder us from praying, I think individualism is uh, something which is hindering the church at large, not just when it comes to prayer, but other things as well. Uh, in the world, we are sold this lie that we don't need other people, that we are, can be happy by ourselves and that other people are, are just a burden. Uh, some time ago, I, uh, I, was, I saw a meme that came across, I don't know, it was Facebook on someone's status on, on WhatsApp. And uh, the, the meme went something along the lines of, you know, my greatest need is my own personal self-care. 
And I, I thought that just reflected the, the individualism of our age. Like we don't need other people to care for us. We don't need other people to help us. Yeah. But that's not how it works in God's economy. Um, I am the only person in this room that doesn't know what the back of my head looks like. Everyone else does except me. And God has placed other people in my life for my benefit and my good. Uh, Paul Tripp wrote a book called Instruments in a Redeemer's Hands. And there he speaks about how, um, how the Lord uh, uses uh, other people in the church to either chisel sin out of our lives. And for other people, he uses rasps uh, to do the fine work. And so we're, we're really thankful for, to the Lord for other people. And we need to be reminded of that. I think another reason why, and perhaps this is uh, one which is, is most striking, is the availability of good, sound, biblical teaching online. And we're thankful for technology. We're thankful for all that we can do with technology. Uh, but with that means that we're able to access uh, our greatest preachers that we want to listen to from anywhere in the world. Now that means that we can very often neglect the care that our pastor and elders deserve. Uh, I think we must remember as well that they're also people, they're also individuals in the church, and they need our prayers for the task that God has called them to. By having a whole host of uh, sermons online, we can sometimes neglect the care that our, our pastors need. And again, it drives us further into our individualism. Why do I need to go to church if I can listen to a sermon online? Why do I need to go to church if I can listen to a sermon on the way to work? It drives us away from each other and not to each other. Now, again, those things are not wrong, but if they drive us away from God's covenant people, those whom we've committed ourselves to, then perhaps we need to ask ourselves the question if we've made an idol out of them. So those are just some of the um, reasons that I, I gave for the decline of prayer in our churches today. And, and of course, the very real reality that sometimes churches aren't praying because <laughs> Um, our hearts are just not stirred with holy affection. We've allowed ourselves to grow cold. And it is a litmus of a spiritual dearth um, within us. We, we, we desperately actually need to cry out to God to revive us. And the fact that we don't love corporate prayer um, in our age might be an indication that uh, that we are not stirred um, and, and we need to be revived. We need um, a fresh breath of God to be blown into us that, that we would be, that we would be flamed back um, uh, into a, a living light. We've got some problems as a church. We really do. Um, but all of that said, one of the key reasons uh, that I also remember you wrote about um, was maybe a lack of either preparedness or or exposure of local church pastors uh, in terms of what a good prayer service might look like. That, that sometimes, you know, because we haven't seen good prayer services, we fail to to hold good prayer services, or the 
that revival has carried for so long, we have no memory of of times when prayer services were full and vibrant and God was being honored in every way. What would a revived prayer service look like, Parmesh? Um, teach us this morning. <laughs> well, Mark, this is, let me just share something with you that I've tried to do here at church. Um, and, and of course, you know, we're praying that the Lord would allow this to flourish in, in years to come. But I remember when I was a child, I remember on Sunday evenings, this is now, I'm guessing, about 20, 25 years ago. On Sunday evenings, Mnet used to have open time. I think it was about from like five to seven or something like that. And I always remember sitting down with my, my family and we would watch those cartoons. It was like Masupalami and the 101 Dalmatians or something like that. And, and it, when I look back on those moments, it was just such a fond moment for me. It, it was a, a time when I can remember our family being together. And after that, we would go have a bath and jump into bed. And, and you know, that would be the rest of our week. But we'd always look forward to that time. It was a precious time for us. And that's what I hope our prayer meetings will be like. I want not just our people, but our people's children to look at the prayer meeting, not as this thing that we must go to once again, but something that is precious to us, something which we look back on with fondness and, and joy. And so, again, how do we do that? Well, we need to be deliberate. So at our church, and again, this is something which has come about mainly through COVID and some of the, the implications that have come about through that. So currently we have a, a prayer meeting uh, every third Sunday or, or the third Sunday of the month, I suppose would be a more accurate uh, way of describing it. So on the third Sunday evening of the month, we encourage our folk to come to church and on that evening we'll have a, a, a prayer meeting. We've done different things there. I think it's an opportunity for us to share testimonies of those who are coming into church membership or who are undergoing the church discipleship program. They have an opportunity to share what God is, is doing in their lives and how he has saved them. And immediately that forms a springboard for prayer for us as we can thank God for the work of salvation in their lives, as we can praise God for his, uh, his saving work in the lives of others. And immediately there's a sense of knitting together that takes place in moments like that. Another thing which we've done is we've uh, read the uh, very short biography on Horatio Spafford and uh, the, the, the legacy behind the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And it was a, an incredible moment for us as a church to read of some of uh, how God had worked in his life um, as a young man and how he came uh, even to support the ministry of, of D.L. Moody and then the tragedy that that struck. It was a, a real uh, understanding of the legacy behind uh, the hymn and, and uh, people, loved, uh, people loved that. And of course, it's an opportunity once again for us to open the word of God to understand what, how the Lord would uh, help us to understand his revealed will, uh, how it can encourage us to pray, 
and then of course to pray for others in the congregation. So again, I would just want to say to folk, be, be deliberate. In the past, as a church, we have also had uh, weeks of prayer where we would set time aside at the beginning of the year uh, where we would meet together for an entire week and then pray together. And of course, that allows for for people who have differing schedules to be able to attend that prayer meeting. Uh, And of course, we're thankful to the Lord for that. I think it's important that there are seasons where we do that, where we we call on our people uh, to pray together for what the Lord is doing. And of course, I know of other churches who uh, once a term, either at the beginning of the term or at the close of the term, will meet together uh, primarily to pray. They will commit time together to, to ask the Lord to bless them for the ministries that lie ahead uh, and to give them wisdom as they desire to reach the community and to fulfill uh, their vision that the Lord has laid on their hearts. So again, it's about being deliberate. It's about thinking very intentionally about how we can do this. Yeah, being deliberate, thinking intentionally, and recognizing that diversity in this particular area actually can be a great encouragement to people. So, you know, do things like split up into groups of eight and be led, you know, each group of eight be led by an elder or by a deacon uh, who leads the prayers. Split up into groups of three and ask each individual person in that group to pray. Um, Ask parents to to lead their children uh, in prayer or, or to teach their children to pray so that a, a child can pray uh, during the prayer meeting, uh, a prepared prayer. Um, uh, you know, in the past, we've taken uh, themes and cut them up into uh, pieces of paper and had maybe 20 themes that we give to different people in the congregation, uh, in, in the church as they gather. Um, so that different people can pray for two minutes uh, per per topic. So you pray for missions and pray for evangelism and pray for Sunday school and pray for um, elders and ministries and various different things in the church so that there is a number of voices involved in the prayer meeting. Um, the, the truth is, particularly if you start this process out from the beginning, your people are going to need help in terms of praying well. Uh, and so that's going to require you as as a pastor um, to equip them to pray well. Um, and so that might mean a short period of teaching, but I'd encourage that to be really short <laughs> at the beginning of the prayer meeting, maybe reading a, a short passage of scripture, giving that meaning as it relates to prayer, and then asking people to apply that specific passage in their corporate prayers uh, in various different ways. Um, an effective way that 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 uh, we've prayed is because particularly in a in a small church that hasn't been praying well for a while there might be one or two people that really like to pray and if you've got a half an hour prayer meeting or a one hour prayer meeting they're going to pretty much take up that entire half an hour uh, or that entire hour and so um in the past uh, we've had a mechanism uh, we've used a bell uh, to mark off you know a 5 minute uh, interval and at the end of that five minute interval who's ever praying needs to stop praying and step back to allow other people to pray <laughs> that's been a useful mechanism uh, that we've used in the past just to encourage uh, a diversity of voices uh, in prayer
Yeah, I think you want to be patient. I mean, uh, don't despise the day of small things. I think even as you try to do this or if you're encouraged to have a pre-meeting, it will be small when it starts off. Um, but you again, what you want to be deliberate with it. You don't want it to be another thing or another program. You want to ask yourself the question, how can be this be a time that's memorable and that mm. will be precious for us as the family of God? How can you do that well? Um, and I think now, if, if you're going to have a pre-meeting now in December, there could be an opportunity for you to encourage this. So at our church, we also have a, a pre-meeting just before the service starts. And that pre-meeting is primarily for the preaching of the word of God. And now that our Sunday school isn't running, I expect that there'll be a number of young children in that pre-meeting who come along with their families. And then also to encourage them so to say to the boys and girls, if you like to pray, they're more than welcome to. Uh, and a good way that you might encourage that is to say, well, you can just pray a prayer that's a sentence long. Thank you, God, for mommy or daddy. Or thank you, God, for your goodness to us or something like that. And so it helps them to understand that our prayers don't need to be elaborate or long or highly complicated, but they can be very simple. And so they can, they can form a part of that uh, even where, where they're at. Uh, I really love that, Parmesh. Um, uh, the incorporation of children, uh, teenagers, and others into the corporate prayer. I also wanted to say, I do think that there's much value in modeling excellence, particularly in the area of corporate prayer, to a church that, that isn't used to corporate prayer, whether that be a corporate prayer meeting or praying before the service. Um, and one of the ways that you can model that is by partnering with another church. I, I firmly believe that, that God gives churches to the church um that that we might bring out the diversity of our gifts out and edify one another and uh, i think you previously mentioned jonathan holt uh, i know that he was doing this and uh, that it was working quite effectively uh, that that was praise for revival amongst a number of churches where churches got together you know, three or four churches got together in one place uh, in order to engage in corporate prayer and um, see, seek out a church, whether it be larger, whether it be smaller than you, it actually makes no difference, but a church that is doing corporate prayer well and ask them to model corporate prayer to you and then join them for a Sunday evening or join them for a Wednesday evening or a Saturday morning whenever they do corporate prayer and learn from them. Be very intentional. Ask your people to be very attentive as they hear corporate prayer modeled that God might be glorified, not just in that prayer, which is getting it right, in that church, which is getting it right, but that that DNA might rub off on your church uh, and that uh, you might grow uh, in this area. Yeah, I think that's excellent. It, it, it highlights the principle of independence and interdependence, that uh, as the people of God, we're not just isolated, but that we have brothers and sisters around us to encourage us as it comes to this. So uh, by way of advertising, I don't know, <laughs> on, on Sunday evening, we're having a combined Christmas carol service here at Witchwood Baptist with uh, Germiston and Springs. And so one of the things which we're doing is we, we've got a bit of a choir going on and we've got members from these other churches who are a part of that. 
And I think it's just a wonderful expression of how we can do this together as uh, believers in a, in a geographical area. And one of the things which I want to plan, uh, just in light of these conversations that we're having on Sunday, is to have representatives from these different churches praying for us together. I think that's a wonderful expression then to show both our unity as well as our diversity as these individuals now are, are representing us before God as we, as we come together in this way. I think it's a, it's a beautiful expression of uh, the, the, the gifts that God has given to each church. Yeah. Well, Pomesh, as we, as we now begin to draw uh, this time to a close, as we enter into just the last few minutes of the discussion, um, what, what would you like to either really highlight and underline in terms of what we've been speaking about this morning um, from any of the segments, or what would you like to just quickly bring to the table because it's something that we haven't discussed up to now that really does need to be uh, spoken about? So just to echo that, pastors uh, who are thinking about starting prayer meetings or to uh, get better at prayer, just to encourage you to be deliberate. As we said last time, failing to plan is planning to fail. And so if this is the means that God has given us to commune with him, if this, this is the means that God has given to us to deepen our relationship with him, we need to be deliberate in the way we go about doing that. And so to encourage you, be deliberate, be intentional, maybe even now in this holiday season, if you're going away on holiday, set a day apart where you can think about how you can do this in the new year. Perhaps even if you have the opportunity to read a book on prayer, to uh, cause the flame in your heart to grow as it pertains to these things. But then to say, as you are deliberate, use the right motive. Remind your people of who they are in Jesus Christ. Prayer is not simply a humanistic activity that we endeavor to perform based on our own efforts. It is the work of Christ by the Holy Spirit in our hearts, empowering us to love the Lord and to pray by the power that he gives to us. And then to say, don't despise the day of small things. Uh, the Lord will honor those who honor him. Now, you may not see that in a great prayer meeting with thousands of people there. We trust that the Lord would do that. But one of the greatest things that we will be able to see is people growing in their ability to pray. People loving the Lord as they pray to him. And that is such a beautiful thing for a pastor to see. Don't be discouraged if you're thinking about prayer. I mean, when we think about the prayer meeting that took place at in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, there were very few people there. And most of them fell asleep except for Jesus. <laughs> and uh, we must trust the Lord that he will, he will honor his name and glorify himself. And often he does this through the prayers of his people. Yeah, I love that, permission, And thank you so much um, for addressing this very important topic over the last uh, few weeks. Um, I really appreciate the attention that you have given it um, and the wealth of, of reading 
that you have exercised uh, in order to speak on the topic um, with with such excellence. Thank you very, very much. Uh, and my prayer for you and for the people of Witchwood Baptist Church uh, is that the Lord God would continue to strengthen you, edify you, build you up and glorify himself in and through your witness out there on the last outpost of the East Rand before you hit Alberton and the greater beyond. Um, brother, um, thank you so much for joining me uh, today on Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit. Thanks, Mark. It's been a real joy to be able to chat with you through this, through this subject. And I hope it's been of encouragement and benefit to others as well. It certainly has. And uh, as we close, each week I say the same thing, and I, I truly believe it, and I'd like to encourage the listeners once again to exercise it. Our prayers do go out to all the elders as well as the deacons who hold the line in local churches, as well as to our local church missionaries who serve in foreign fields. Our prayers and our respect goes out to first responders, to police and defense force, as well as all those who dispense justice in our country, and to firefighters, paramedics, our nation's nurses and medical personnel, as well as correctional facility officers all over South Africa. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We're going to be going to news shortly. And so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy and testify zealously to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.